What's up everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Whitetail Series and this is the beginning of the end. This is the start of the late season segment. We got 8, 9, 10 episodes coming out on the late season. If you're like me, you didn't kill in the pre-rut or the rut or the early season. Now we're on the late season and it can be a real grind, but at the same time, deer are still plentiful. Um, they're still active in daylight hours and it's arguably one of the best times to kill a mature deer just because there's so much scarcity around. So... Um, it should be, I've already had recorded a couple of these podcasts and they've been awesome, really helpful, very useful for me personally, and I hope they are for you as well. As always, this podcast has been sponsored by Onyx and Arrow Hunter Saddles. I really appreciate their support. So if you guys could show them some support, that would mean a lot to me. Um, Arrow Hunter Saddles, it's a tree saddle. Um, saddle hunting is a real, getting real popular right now. I use that saddle probably 50, 60% of the time. Um, I'm out when I'm out trying to be mobile, um, it's just so much easier than carrying a stand and sticks. It, it really is. I just put up four sticks and then I stand on the top stick and I'm ready to rock. Um, and you can pretty much get into a lot of different trees and it's just, it's a, it's a good system. If you're trying to be mobile and especially late season, you may need to be mobile because food sources will change. Bedding areas will change and you got it. You have to hunt the hot sign in late season. Um, cause it's, likely the only sign that you're going to find. So being mobile um, is very, very big in the late season. And uh, if you're ever looking into those saddles, look at Arrow Hunter saddles. As far as Onyx goes, you know, they're the GPS mapping app, show private public land boundaries. Uh, they give you waypoints, topo maps, hybrid maps, satellite maps. Um, you can track your distances, all sorts of things. I even use it for running when I go for runs. I'll just track where I go and it'll give me times and distance and all that stuff. So please go check out Onyx Maps and Arrow Hunter Saddles if you guys are in the market for either of those uh, categories. All right, let's get into it. All right, so you're telling me there's this giant 140 right in front of you. And yeah, so so this is my first rifle hunt of the season. So um, our rifle season here in Alabama goes from like n early November. Actually, the, the zone that I hunt, it started November 1st, and it'll roll through January the 27th. Now, okay. statewide, that's just in my zone. The statewide, which is the rest of the state pretty much, is the rifle season starts November the 15th and rolls through February the 10th. Okay, so it's a long stinking rifle season. Yeah, well, I, that's I really long. It, it's pretty, it's, I say it's, it's cool. Like it's nice to have that much time with a rifle if you like to gun hunt, um, but yeah. you can still bow hunt that whole time too. If you, if you don't want to rifle hunt. Um, but I'd done a lot of out of state trips. I'd killed a, I'd killed a, a buck in Kentucky uh, during their, their rut. I killed it on November the 11th, I think. Um, I killed another buck with my bow in Alabama uh, the first week of November, right before I went to Kentucky. And uh, and then I was on a trip to Missouri and over Thanksgiving break. So I'd been doing all that. So I had missed the pretty much the whole first month of rifle season in Alabama um, just because I was hunting. I was hunting with a hunt with a bow in other states. And yeah. uh, so I went out. Went out and actually I lied to you. I said my first rifle hunt. My first rifle hunt was two days before that. And I had uh went out for uh, a sit. It, it was probably hunt until like two o'clock that day, and I had a big buck come through and uh, I couldn't get a shot. Well, as I was looking at my gun, this is a rifle that I've used, it's right here next to me. I've I've used it since I was like 10 o'clock. 
uh, 10 o'clock uh, since I was like 10 years old. <laughs> and uh, I started looking at it. I was like, man, I haven't used this thing in a while. I wonder if it's like cleaned out. Cause the last time I, the last time I used it was during hurricane Laura. I don't know if y'all no shit with yeah, that, yeah. but it was the velvet hunt in Tennessee in August. And uh, that was the last time I'd taken it out and it rained on me the whole time. I started looking, I looked down the barrel and it was just rusted and pitted out and stuff. I was like, crap. Oh, so I actually man. went and bought a new rifle that day. And then I went on my, on my, what I would call my first legitimate gun hunt of the okay, season. Yeah. And I went into this area that I had hung a trail camera in right before I went to Kentucky. And uh, it's five, it's a five mile boat ride, a five mile kayak trip for me um, from the, the closest ramp. And so it takes you a long time to get there. It's an investment to get back there. And I was like, you know what? We got good cold weather. The rut's starting out. I want to check that camera because I'm off the rest of the week. Um, I want to know if there's a big boy in there that I could, you know, potentially chase after this week. Well, I go in there and I hunt right about 830. I have this hot doe come through and she was obviously hot. You know, like when you see them, they come trotting out of the wood line and I'm hunting a, a perfect. I mean, it's just a perfect spot. There's a um, it's a uh, I was hunting the leeward side of this ridge on the other side of the thicket, there's a cutover, which is like a clear cut pine thicket type deal. Then it just goes to some older, real thick understory pines. And then it's open hardwoods. And those open hardwoods start at right about the, the top third of this ridge. So when you think about that thermal, that thermal tunnel that those bu bucks will cruise and the deer will typically travel, on a wind coming up over it, that the hard transition line was in the perfect spot for that. Like it was yeah. just, it's just a money spot. And that's why I hung a trail camera there. And um, so this doe comes out doing exactly what I thought they would do. She comes running out. I mean, like trotting, you know, a nice steady trot. And she stops and she looked behind her and she tr trot a little bit more. And her tail was like, you know, up at that, like in heat. Yeah, yeah you know, look, and, uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but the, the self filmer side of me got the best of me and I pull my camera in between me. I'm hunting out of a saddle. So she's on my, on my strong side. So I have to pull that camera in between yeah. me and the tree. So I pull the camera over and I'm watching her and I'm filming her and I'm like, Oh yeah, she's hot. There's definitely a buck going to be behind her. But I didn't do anything. <laughs> I wasn't looking. I was just filming her walk down my left side. And she walks and she hits my scent trail and stops. And my thought, I guess my thought process in the moment is that buck's going to come right behind her. So as long as I got my camera in the right spot, I can keep filming her. Yeah. And whatever buck is there is going to be right here at 10 yards away from me at some point. Well, she hits my scent trail and she jolts and she just like high tails it back the same way that she came. And as I'm filming her go back that way and get, she gets right in front of me and I see right there in front of me in the, he's out of the thick stuff, but it's still behind some good cover. I see this like huge rack kind of move a little bit. Like he's trying to figure out what's going on. And yeah. then he turns around and just busts out of there and follows her out. And by the time I even got my gun up, like I was, he was in the, in the super thick pines and stuff. And I just couldn't, I couldn't pull off a shot on him. And, but the, oh. the crap, the crap thing is, is that if I would have just been watching, 
that spot, if I would have said, okay, there's a doe there, but there's obviously a buck. I need to be watching that area. If I would have been watching, I would have seen him. I mean, he's a big, a big freaking deer. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, as big as anything I've ever seen in the woods, you know, he was, he was a good one. And, uh, fortunately for me, fortunately, or maybe even unfortunately, I did get him on that camera that morning, 30 seconds before he, he showed up to that spot. And so I know exactly how big he was. I know exactly what he looked like. And he gets to haunt me from, from oh, now until man. hopefully next year when I kill him. But the, the cool thing was, is I just texted my dad and I was like, just had this gigantic bug i'm kicking myself i'm kind of like in a depression at the moment you know i'm like <laughs> golly how do i screw that up with a with a rifle you know yeah and um you know what they say like a bow hunt starts what is it a, a rifle hunt ends where a bow hunt begins you know like sure your rifle hunt sure. should be if, if you have a deer anywhere close to in range your rifle hunt usually is over like you can you can kill them. Whereas with a bow, that's not necessarily the case. Right. But right here, I was just kicking myself. I'm like, I have a gun. I have a 30 out six in my hand and I didn't drop this deer. I texted my dad and I was like, had this big buck come in. Like now I got to decide it's my last buck tag. And I already, already killed two bucks in Alabama and we get three. So I was like, I got to decide now if, if another buck comes following that hot doe trail, if I'm going to shoot it or not, you know, yeah. now, I, now that I know that this deer's in here, and uh he's like yep <laughs> sounds like you got a tough decision to make and my my thing was i knew there was going to be another buck that came through you know whether or not he was a, a a shooter it would is you know that's another another thing but i knew there was going to be more bucks just because i was in that like very very beginning part of the rut so if you got a doe that comes through like that that's hot i mean it's going to yeah, be should be good for the next couple hours exactly yeah. And so sure enough, man, I was, uh, I was sitting there still kicking myself. And all of a sudden this buck just comes out of the woods exactly the same way that that doe came. He comes out of the woods and is right there at 10 yards. And I shot him and, uh, and it was one of those like quick decisions where I was like, he looks good, pal, you know, shot <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and he ran a little ways and I had to shoot him again. My first shot wasn't great, but I had to shoot him again and he, he fell and I knew he was there, but I was just thinking like, man, I hope he is decent because I, <laughs> I did not have long, a long time. He was on a trot, you know, he was follow, he was wanting to find her and, um, I just didn't have a lot of time to check, but luckily he was a good deer. So, um, it all worked out, but it still was like, even after I walked up to the deer, normally like if anybody's watched any of the videos that I do or anything like that, if I shoot a deer, I'm like fired up. I don't care how big it is. Like I get yeah. jacked up. I love it. But that one was just like, I was, I was super excited, but in the middle of that excitement was like a remorse, like, but I should have been killing my right. biggest ever today, you know? <laughs> um, but that yeah, was, it's crazy. Was it's December, you know, like, like you guys get November, no, November is the magical time of the year and bucks are running around like crazy. And for us, man, it's like December. That's when you need to be there. And then also like a lot of our state in Alabama, a lot of our state is just now getting into the rut and there's other places that won't be in rut for another two weeks. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just, it's just a crazy state. Uh, I tell people that it looks like a bad weather system. When you look at our rut map, they have different colorations for the different ruts. 
And when you look at that, it looks like a bad weather system on a radar going through the state. Cause it's just <laughs> like, you have a splotch over here, a splotch over yeah. there. And it's just, it's pretty cool though. I mean, it's neat. Oh no, that's awesome. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk about today was like late season. So for, for you, like late season in Alabama. Oh, and first of all, this is Parker McDonald from Southern, from Southern ground hunting. If you guys don't haven't looked at his, his YouTube channel or his podcast or his Instagram or all that stuff, go find him. He's really fun to follow. And you just broke 4,000 followers. Congratulations on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Today. Podcast. Yeah. yeah literally like, today. <laughs> yeah. I was, it was funny. Like we've been on like this huge roll the last uh, couple of weeks where it's just been growing like crazy daily, getting a lot of good, uh, good subscribers. And then we hit like, it was like 3,980 and it was like, come on guys. Like, <laughs> come on, please <laughs> just need these, like these last 20. And, uh, that was, I guess, uh, that was two days ago. And finally we got it and got to yeah. it today. So, ah, that's cool. Congrats. But I anyway, yeah, everybody go check out Parker McDonald. He's, he's pretty fun to listen to and all that. Um, and he's from Alabama. Where are you from exactly in Alabama? Is it like Southern uh, so I'm actually like right in the middle of the state. So okay. um, probably, probably northern, more north, but pretty close to Birmingham is where I live. Gotcha. And uh, and I mean, when you talk about like different ruts, right here where I'm at, I have within an hour, maybe less than an hour. Well, let's just talk about um, the, this place where I hunt. There, if you go to right where I hunt, which I'm not going to say exactly where that's at but if you go to right where i hunt and you go 30 miles any direction you 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 could have rut in november you could have it in december you could have it in january and i've even killed a rutting buck that was just crazy in the rut on the last day of the season february 10th um several several years ago and uh, and that was not far from where i hunt where the the main ruts in freaking december you know um <laughs> yeah it's just it's just oh, insane yeah. It is. It's, it's wild. Cause like in Wisconsin and pretty much the Midwest, you really get like November 1st to November, like 20th or so. And in somewhere in that time frame, everybody's rifle season generally kicks off. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's earlier, maybe it's later, whatever it is, but generally that's where you're at. And then you'll get like a second coming of the rut in like early December. And then every once in a while, like real rare, but you'll get another one in January where yeah. in generally it's a, it's that that second one in December is like just some yearlings coming into heat. Um, and that same one is January yearlings coming back into heat and does will the mature does will come back into heat if they're not bred. Right. Yeah. But that cycle just continues. And I, and it's one of those things that I was like kind of skeptical on. And then last year um, I actually found a trail camera of mine that I forgot that I put out and I found mm. it in March um, and I checked it and in January I had five bucks on a doe um, and they were burning. They were in front of the camera. I don't know. I think I got like 30 or 40 pictures of them. They're just back and forth and back and forth. This is doe wow. just kept running by and the bucks just kept running by. I was like, dude, that looks like chasing, you know? Um, yeah. And it, and it was like, then eventually I was looking at them and I was like, yeah, those bucks are chasing that, that fawn. <laughs> so here's something that's pretty cool about, or I guess it's not that cool it kind of sucks really for Alabama is that like some of the state, um, if you go like far South Alabama, um, there's one place that's pretty close to Mississippi. 
Uh, I hunted it last year. I hunted it the first week of February, and it was like peak rut there. So they get they they have basically early season until February. Um, <laughs> what what you and and most of the country gets to experience pretty much around October. You know that October, maybe some in November, September. Like their their deer are doing that kind of stuff all season long, pretty much. And then finally, at the end of the season, they get their rut. So the secondary ruts that that may or may not happen aren't even during deer season. Like like yeah, you're already, you're yeah. pushing into turkey season at that point. You know <laughs> that some of our yeah. deer are still getting bred and and chasing around and stuff. So it's like it's it's people say like man that's a stupid long season to have but you you kind of have to do that here you know you which it, it's it's pretty cool the the cool thing is is a guy a hardcore dude here in Alabama um could go and hunt the rut from November till February you know like you could have if you wanted to travel and yeah. hunt you could stay in your state and hunt the rut till February which is neat give you high hopes on every hunt <laughs> yeah it definitely does now the the thing is is that our deer densities and and probably more than anything just the way that our our terrain and stuff is out here our rut is not like what what a lot of midwestern guys think about rut you know um a lot of people are going to be lucky if they see one or two bucks chasing deer in the rut like that's just okay. For most people, like if they've had a successful season, if they saw a couple, you know, two or three bucks during the season, during that short rut time frame, you know, and, yeah. and most guys are not killing them early season. Um, you really, it's really one of those deals where you, you have to know what you're doing to go out in early season and kill a buck, especially a mature one. And I would say the same is true for other places, but it's just a little bit harder because our deer density is not as, not as big you know we don't we don't have a huge population of deer and the ones we do have we alabama itself is just like one big giant thicket so you can't see we don't have a ton of ag you're not going to go on a whole lot of crop fields and be able to find deer um you know just because there's not a lot of crop fields you know it's mostly just woods and thickets and pines and that kind of stuff so you're not going to see the amount of deer even if you are in a place where there's a lot of deer, you're not going to see them all the time. So, um, I've hunted, I've hunted states like Kentucky. I've hunted Kentucky particularly, and it's just a different world, man. Like it's just a different when you have soybean and corn and you can see, you know, a quarter mile through a field and you see every deer that's in the area. And out here you could be 50 yards like, like that buck that I just talked about, you know, he was, he was within shooting range probably for five minutes and I just didn't even know he was there because it's so thick. So that's a, that's an interesting part about Alabama that a lot of people don't think about. Like, you know, we do have a cool rut where you can hunt the rut at different times, but it, you know, you still might not see anything. (laughs) Still may not even see a deer. No. Yeah. That's why they call it hunting. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. No, and that was that was my that was actually my one of my next questions because I've talked to a couple guys out of Georgia and uh, Florida, and they both say the same thing. Like, man, it's just so thick around here, and we don't have these big cornfields like you do and soybean fields. That like, if you want to kill them, you you got to be close. You got to be close, and you ain't gonna see them from you know five hundred yards away across the field and be like, all right, well, I can move my tree stand over there tomorrow. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just not how it works. Um, and that, you know, that makes sense. And, and it, for my mind, like that's gotta be something, the weather and the temperature have to have something to do with that rut because in like in Wisconsin, the deer right now, if they were burning calories, like they are in the rut, they'd probably be dead by the end of January, February, cause they just don't have enough calories or food. So mm-hmm. I imagine the cold weather kind of says, Hey guys, you're done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Live, you probably should stop. Yeah. Um, it's just something they learn over time. Whereas Alabama, there's so much vegetation, so much food all the time, just in browse that they can run and run and run and not worry about. And there's really nothing, there's nothing here in Alabama, really, you know, like I've heard, heard uh, I interviewed a guy on my podcast from the Everglades in Florida and he was telling me, you know, basically their rut happens like in July or something weird. Like I'm pretty sure it was July. Cause I interviewed him during the summer. I was actually at the beach in Florida and he was gearing up for deer season. And he had said he had already seen bucks chasing does and uh, like hard horn bucks chasing does their deer season's about to start that week. And uh, he says it's because um, it's a similar thing as what you're talking about, just at a different part of the year. At one point that water level rises so high that the fawn survival rate is is very, very low. So like in the springtime, when most does are dropping fawns, um, their, their fawns wouldn't be able to survive because the water in those swamps gets so high yeah. and so they'll drop their does earlier, like in, you know, January or February or something like that. So that they're a little and, bit older. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're that's winter time, but their winter in the Everglades is going to be like most people's summertime, you know, <laughs> right, it's, right. it's so hot, you know? And so, um, I've heard people say that here in Alabama, there's really nothing, there's really nothing that there's no reason for them to do that. We don't get a lot of snow. Our weather's relatively nice. Most of the time it's pretty hot during the summer. Um, and it stays warm. I think today was like in the, in the high sixties, probably maybe low seventies. Like it was pretty warm today. Um, you know, it's, it's decent weather right now (laughs) and it was was not great hunting weather. It was warm today here too. I think it got up to 28. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's, that's like cold front, like everybody's staying home here. That's, (laughs) that's pretty much what it is. And so, but like, uh, um, another thing about Alabama is that in a lot of the big woods type areas, and I know y'all have have a lot too, uh, North Pennsylvania has big woods, Mm -hmm. um, and stuff, but you know, there's, there's nothing really that separates one Ridge from the next, you know? And so like when I go to Kentucky, for example, and I go and hunt a soybean field like that, that soybean field is a destination spot for those deer. Um, and you're going to find the low spot on that field. And that's going to be a good funnel when you're out here in the big woods, in the, you know, the big, huge terrain bluffs and stuff like that. Like there's not a deer has so many places that he can bed. He's not going to use the same bed every single day. More than likely he's going to wander. He's going to travel. There's no reason for him to be on any type of necessarily pattern. He's probably on some type of pattern, but it's not real consistent. And so, so you can't, you know, you, you really have to do your homework in, uh, you know, studying subtle terrain features, um, subtle vegetation, you know, thickets, transitions, hard transition lines, 
Um, you really have to do your homework in that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that might be scouting. It might be just knowing, you know, what I call my common denominators, which are um, like the things that when I look at every deer that I have in here, every encounter that I've had, when I watch every video, what are the common denominators in those encounters? And so I've, I've got a list of those things, you know, that I, if, if I'm looking through Onyx, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And most of the time I'll go in there without even scouting and be able to tell you there's going to be deer sign in there just because I know my area and I know, you know, it's not, it's not that I know how to predict deer or anything, but I know how the deer in my area track and know where they're where they're wanting to be at and so those that's what i call common denominators and um and so you really have to do a lot of your homework in the south um to to be able to find those little subtle features because it's not going to be just something huge that you sticks out on onyx you know from a ten thousand foot view it's going to be something that you really have to zoom in and look at the fine details for yeah no and i i feel you there there are definitely like you said those big woods areas are are there a lot about time time in the woods and time scouting and finding those subtle features exactly what you're saying mm-hmm. and it makes it a lot more difficult than like hunting a piece that's 50 crop 50 like big woods because yep. then you can find those features a lot quicker and easier and that's one thing i try to tell a lot of people is not all hunting parcels are created equal and just because like you hunt, you're hunting the piece of public land close to your house. That's 20 minutes. You might get a cut, like two or three opportunities at a deer there a year. And if you, instead of driving 20 minutes, you just drove 40 minutes, you might get 20 to 30 opportunities just because the parcels better, right. Or it's easier to break apart, easier to break down. Like if I'm trying to plan an out of state hunt and I have options of, of ag of mixed ag and woods versus big woods. I'm 99% of the time. I'm going to go to that ag and woods first. Yeah. Easier to break apart from a satellite view, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, and it might hold bigger deer cause the ag produces that much food. Uh, it just depends, but yeah, I, I definitely hear you there. Uh, so when you, and you talk about that too, like, um, you know, every parcel is not the same. Every piece is not made equal. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my homework goes into trying to figure out what separates those certain pieces from the next. And a lot of that is going to be, um, the private land pressure around it. So I I think I mentioned earlier that I do a lot of my hunting via kayak. And when I do that, I'm going into spots that are waterlocked and landlocked by private land. So it's pieces of public that I can get into and unless somebody has a boat or accessing through the private that's that piece is going to be untouched and and i found out is most of it is untouched like it's not i'm the only person in there going in there and hunting it with the exception there's a couple of my buddies who use water access as well and uh, and we all kind of you know treat that that property almost like our own personal lease you know (laughs) yeah yeah we communicate back and back and forth and we all help each other out but um but I'm going into those areas and what I can tell you, but like the area that I, that I saw that deer at, that I shot the buck at, you know, this year. And I had that encounter with that real big deer. Um, the property that borders that land 
is very much so trophy managed. Like they don't shoot anything younger than five and a half. So my knowledge of that says if I want to go in and kill a good, like really good buck, that's probably going to be a pretty good option. You know, (laughs) I know what's, I know what's living on that private land. Whereas if I go to another piece that is landlocked in, you know, another, another area that maybe I know there's a big, huge hunting club on it and they're, you know, maybe they don't have antler restrictions on that club or anything like that. Like I have to find out those pieces of information to be able to have a good idea of what, you know, what kind of deer are even in the area. That being said, there's big bucks in almost every square mile of property. Like there's going to be a big buck somewhere there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just got to figure out where's, where's going to be your best chances at. And I'm going to travel a little bit further to go to the spot that I know has, you know, really good deer in the area and every buck in there might be worth shooting for me, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. it's just, it's just one of those things. It's like part of the homework that goes into that. And, uh, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's not all, it's not all equal, but, but you can, you can, if you do that homework that goes into the scouting and stuff too, like that's just as important. Yeah. And we'll like, so before we hop into the scouting piece, just a little side rail hunting clubs, aren't that I have a friend out of, I'm not saying I have a lot of friends, but the friends that I have up here in Wisconsin, I have a friend that's part of a hunting club. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just really not popular and it's not even a hunting club necessarily. It's more of a, like, it's a lease of like 12 families that all buy into like a thousand acre lease and they all get whatever 40 acres it is. I don't, mm-hmm. I, that math doesn't work out. It's 500 acres, 12 families, 40 acres each. Um, but down in the South, and I've heard this a few times is there are hunting clubs where you can buy into a club and you get an area like that's how that works. Right. For anybody listening that doesn't understand how that works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a lease and some clubs are different. Um, there are places like that where you, you buy into the, you, you ba- you're basically paying the landowners taxes or you're paying a lease, you know, you're, you're paying them yeah. to lease the property. And, uh, and I've been on some, I've been on one that had like 50 people on it. And then I've been on some that had like five people on it, you know, and usually the, the ones that have less people are going to cost a little bit more money. Um, but like some of them, man, I mean, you'll lease them, lease it from like the timber companies and you'll just get like a big, huge giant chunk of property that's been logged and, and everybody has to figure out a place to hunt. But usually, um, there are places where you can like, they like split it up and like, you get this 40 acres, you get this 40 acres, you get this 40 acres. Most of the ones that I've been on are everybody can hunt anything. You know, you have your stands, they all have a number. And first thing in the morning you go and you pin in for that stand first come first serve. Um, and then you pretty much have the whole thing that you can hunt. If you want to go and hunt mobile with a climber or a saddle or whatever, you pin in for the closest stand to that area. So nobody's hunting around you and that's how it works. And um, that's, yeah. That's, and it's very popular. That's how most people hunt out here. Yeah. Like, it's and that's, that's, that's the way people do it. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely not up here. Like you're either you're, you're getting permission on a piece of private and you're, you're just getting it for free, which is rare. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're buying a lease, which is generally like, man, the, like I said, the lease with 500 acres and 12 families, like that's pretty rare. Um, it's more of like, you're getting a lease for 200 acres and there's three people on it, you mm-hmm. know, and that's somebody's figured that out. Um, or you're hunting public or you have your own private. That's mm-hmm. kind of, but that's just like a side note. Cause that's something that I've learned. That's not very popular up here. That's down there that some people might not understand. And but it, it's worse than public in a lot of ways too. I like, I would, yeah, I would way I rather think, hunt public. I, yes, I would, I would venture to guess that as well. Just because people, I have seen pieces of property that are private, but the landowner just gives permission to anyone who asks. And they are far worse than the public five minutes down the road because everyone thinks the public sucks. Yeah. Right. And it's That's yeah. how it is here. Kind of, I mean, um, we definitely have a lot of people hunting on the public land out here, but um, it's kind of, I mean, it took me a long time to start hunting public just because. I, I wasn't aware that it could be good, you know, because the, the, the typical, I guess the stereotype here is that public land's dangerous. Everybody's shooting up each other and it's blah, blah, blah. And you only get on public, you only hunt public land if you're poor, you know, (laughs) um, and hunting clubs are far superior to, to hunting on public land because on, on a hunting club food plots, you have deer blinds, you have all this stuff. That's just the way everybody thinks. Like they'll pay, they'll feel like they have a better chance at shooting a buck on a hunting club. They paid 200 bucks to hunt than they do hunting on public land, which is just not true. Hunting a $200 hunting club is a pretty cheap club to get on. And, and I've seen some, my co-host is on a club that costs like pretty close to that. And he's, he's killed all three of his bucks out there this year. So I mean, he's, you can get on those clubs. This is the cool thing. So if you will, if you will invest time into hunting public land deer and you'll really, really figure it out and, you know, start racking up some success, you can go on these clubs like these, even these cheap clubs where people are just sitting on shooting. It's the equivalent to hunting on public land where everybody's walking a hundred yards away from the road. You know, you can yeah. go on these spots and get just a little bit further than what people are going, get away from the food plots, hunt the funnels, hunt the bedding and do, you can do re- like, you'll start kill- killing every big buck out there. <laughs> and I actually did that this year. My first buck of the season, I went hunting with my buddy on his club and I was like, listen, I don't really want to hunt like one of y'all spots or anything like that. I want to take my saddle and I want to scout hunt and hunt it the way that I would hunt public land. And I killed a buck that night, which was just like freaking cool, man. I was yeah, like, yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Like I just proved to myself that I could do something that I said <laughs> I might could do, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so you could like, it's, it's the same thing. Deer are going to do what deer are going to do. And so if you, if you do your homework, if you know, if you know how to hunt them, you can hunt, you can hunt them on a hunting club, on a permission farm, you can hunt them on public land. You know, it's, it's yeah. going to be pretty, pretty equal out here. Yeah. Oh yeah. One of the things that I have found on, on public is that people tend to go to very similar spots, um, year over year. And people have like a lot of people that hunt public that I've run into have like a spot. They will, like, I've seen guys haul ladder stands out there, even though in Wisconsin, it's illegal to leave stands up overnight. 
Like you just can't do it. But I've seen ladder guys haul ladder stands out there and set up and they'll sit that ladder stand all season, the same one, you know, yeah. and they just leave it up, which is whatever that's, that's their prerogative. What it, uh, I mean, it's what's similar to the hunting club is that once you know, those known spots, you can actually work around that. Mm-hmm. It's the unknown that gets you. If you can know where that pressure is and understand like where other hunters want to be and where other hunters go year over year, you can really, it narrows down, you know, a 400 acre property really quick to, all right, I got to hunt these three areas because there isn't a pin there. There isn't a stand there. There isn't a beer can. I haven't found any beer cans over there. So there's probably not any hunters there. Yeah, you're exactly right. I talked to people. I talked to a guy on, uh, on my podcast, his name's Jamie McKay, and we hunt pretty close to the same area. This dude is just a he's a country dude, like super nice guy, and he kills big deer every single year off of this piece, off of this uh, this national forest land. And the dude, I mean, I'm talking about big deer, and his main tactic, especially when it comes to uh, deer and rifle season, is hunting what he calls a bluff gap, which if you know what a bluff is basically a cliff in steep country and like a small little narrow piece where a deer can just kind of squeeze through. Um, and he'll find, he'll find those bluff gaps and he'll get on the other side where there's a parking lot or some known hunting pressure and he'll find those bluff gaps. And he's killed a lot of deer, big bucks that are just escaping other people's pressure through that bluff gap. Like, that's how narrowed down he has he has gotten his uh, hunting yeah. style i guess you could call it yeah. and so like that i mean that's that's the stuff that works you know that's stuff that works out here you find people's pressure and you just hunt around it. yeah exactly what you said no that's cool that's one of those uh tactics that are like you you in theory it works but you're not ballsy enough to waste a hunt on it mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to do it a lot like yeah. you, it, it's, it's a low odds hunt, but most guys, I mean, most guys that I talk to who are killing giant deer, I don't know if you're familiar with Nathan Killen in Virginia. He's kind of like, he's been on several podcasts. Dude is like just amazing. He hunts traditional in the mountains and he's killed like some 200 inch deer uh, on public land. He's, he's amazing. All right. And, I'll have to find him. No, I, I don't know him, but I'll, it's Nathan. I'll look him up later, but Nathan he, Nathan, Nathan's awesome. Uh, we've got, we've talked to several people and one of the, one of the common things that these guys are all talking about is hunting low odds areas. But when you see a buck, it's going to be the buck. Like it's going to be the one you're not going to see 10 or 20 does and small bucks every hunt. Which encouraging. But when you see a deer, you better believe it's going to be the one that you want to kill. And that's one of the things that I've been trying to key in on this year. I've, I've been sitting here thinking about it like um, a lot lately, like, man, my, my videos just didn't have a lot of deer. You know, I didn't get like just tons of great deer footage, but I'm like, well, I mean, that's kind of what I was wanting to do. The footage that I did get was, was, was good deer, you know, that was, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much most of the footage that I got. And so it's, it's a, it's pretty neat. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty cool when you, when you put those pieces together and you start learning from those guys that are, you know, some of the old timers who had figured that one thing out, you know, and, and I think 
one of the most important things, especially when you're hunting low deer density areas is like, don't just hunt, don't hunt the field edge where you're going to see 25 does, you know, that's great and it's fun and it makes you feel like you did something really cool, but you're going to like, people are going to remember your name, even though you saw less deer, the deer that you did kill were, you know, noteworthy. That's the, yeah. And I definitely, the more people I talk to, and I'm not some massive big buck killer by any means, I've had, I've had my share of opportunities that I've, that I've missed. It seems like they're always like just out of range or something's, something's not working out in that scenario. And that's why they get big. Right. Yep. I mean, this year I missed one at 26 yards. I should have killed him. He was just as big as this guy is behind me. And I, I just missed, you yeah. know, um, and he, it was kind of cool. Like you were saying, he did, I set a tree stand this year. Um, our season opened September 16th or something like that. And I set the stand on like October 1st and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a really good spot. And the third time I sat it, there he was, you know, yeah. coming right in. Um, but, uh, but he was the only deer I saw that day. And and you start talking to a lot of these people that hunt these big bucks and they're like, they're not like other deer. You're not going to find them in a herd mm-hmm. with 10, 15 does or all a bunch of like, you know, little four, little four pointers or forks or spikes. Like unless it's early season, then you'll find them in there every now and then. But one season like really gets going, these deer like to live on their own and like they, they, they do their own thing. And that's mm-hmm. why you don't find them. That's why they're hard to find. And that's why like you find a set of big buck tracks. You don't find a set of big buck tracks with three does and, and a spike, you know? Yeah. And, and you get like, you get the time when they're the most vulnerable and that's deer in the rut and you're going to catch them screwing up, you know, you're going to catch them messing up sometimes. Um, but like, I, I was thinking about, as you were talking, I was thinking about kind of that same thing, you know, whenever I, I hunted Kentucky this year in, uh, September. So the opening week of September and it's all green, you know, every, every hunt is pretty much should be a based around soybeans or yeah. cut corn, you know, like yeah. it, I had to learn that, you know, the, the first couple times, cause I would go in and try to beast hunt them and it just didn't work. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody was shooting. They're like, yeah, I saw 160 in the soybean field right next to the parking lot. And I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Um, but so this past year, uh, this, or this season, I was there that opening week and I just wasn't seeing deer, man. I wasn't seeing deer anywhere. I wasn't seeing them in soybeans. I wasn't seeing them in corn. I just was not seeing a lot of deer. Well, I went in and did just like a, one of those type of hunts that you go in and you're like, you know, it's super thick, like extremely thick. Um, I'm not going to see, you know, there's not just going to be a a pile of does and deer in here, but sure enough, dude, at like 10 o'clock. So late morning in September, I had a giant buck come walking down that, that top third of the ridge. Um, I mean, he was just going to go back to his bed. The wind had shifted that day and it was forecasted to shift pretty ridiculously, like almost like 180 degree change in wind direction and i thought you know i'm going to set up right here hoping that that wind direction changes and a buck is going to change his bed to this spot 
And dude, yeah. that like it it's one of those where like I did overthink it for an early season hunt and I was going in after a buck. You know, I didn't I didn't know he was there. I didn't it was just the way that it all set up in this area. And sure enough, dude, 10 o'clock, this big buck comes walking. I mean, perfectly, exactly where I thought he would come from. He was bedded up over here where the wind was like where the wind was blowing over him and he was overlooking the waterway. And once that wind changed and started going like this towards me, he got he got up, went on the ridge and he was going to go bed with the wind coming up over his back, overlooking the waterway again, just on a different wind direction. And uh, I ended up I ended up missing him at 18 yards. Um, I listened to that podcast. Yeah, it was it was sucky, dude. I was I was pretty upset about it. Oh, I was upset yeah. about it until I finally killed a deer, a, a good buck in Kentucky in November. Um, like it haunted me, man. And it actually, luckily, yeah. hasn't hasn't done so since I shot that buck in November. But <laughs> that was a rough one. That was yeah. a rough. One. Oh, I believe it. Um, I can't remember how we got off that on that tangent of big bucks. Oh. Um, it was from going from like the hunting club and finding specific deer and hunting specific deer and all that. Yeah. But one of the, you were rolling into pre prior to that, you were rolling into scouting and that's one thing, you know, with, with the late season, I mean, the ruts, the rut, like generally, you know, pinch points, funnels, well, I've already kind of covered, beat the rut to death on, on my, like I have a whitetail series. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but I yeah. did nine or 11 nine or 10 episodes just on the rut. So if you, Mm -hmm. if you want to learn about hunting the rut, like that's all they talked about. That's all the guests talked about, but the, um, the next thing I wanted to cover was, was like postseason scouting. And, and Mm -hmm. you were, you were hinting at that and learning properties and understanding how that, how they function and, and how deer move on them. So, I mean, you guys don't end until February, but once February, you know, rolls over and you're in postseason. you got no tags left anymore. What are you, what are you doing to prepare for next year right away? All right. So we, we have a, a pretty neat, it's, it sucks for marriages, but our Turkey season pretty much starts right after deer season ends. Like we got like a month of rest before Turkey season starts. Um, okay. It's, it's really great if you're not married um, but if you're married and you're like, I thought you just quit hunting. Yeah, well, I got to do it again. Um, uh, so I guess I could say this, the number one thing that I'm doing to prepare for the next season is trying to tag out early so that I can spend a little bit of time at home before turkey season starts. Um, <laughs> yep. but, but the, the kind of going into that, that same thing is like our turkey season starts right after deer season. So typically where I'm at big woods, these turkeys, we don't have fields. We're not hunting field birds or anything. So you're walking a lot. Like you're walking ridge tops. You're going and finding new areas. And that is for me, the time when I am scouting the most, because that first part, our turkey season opens in March, usually like mid March. So it's not green up yet. It's not started sprouting. It's actually pretty chilly. Um, you know, as chilly as Alabama gets, And, um, so the leaves are still off though. So you're still seeing a lot of that same sign that you would be seeing, you know, in, um, February when you're doing your post, when most people are doing their postseason scouting, shed hunting and stuff like that. I'm actually, I, I've, I used to do it a lot and I just found out that it's like, man, I'm going to use that little bit of time to kind of take a little break and, you know, find my map and really start getting fired up about like 
finding these new areas. I start doing a lot of turkey scouting, just just on Onyx, you know, trying to find different spots. But then once turkey season starts, it really, I mean, I would say 95% of my hunts out here in Alabama are deer scouting. You know, I'm going, I'm out there with the intention of killing a bird, but you, if, if I went out there with the intention, with the expectation to kill a bird every time I would be a loser, you know, I would, yeah, it's just not going to happen, but I'm going to make the most of, of my time out there. So, yeah, yeah. um, it's like, I mean, it's most like, of my uh, spots. it's deer scouting with a shotgun and a turkey call. And if, if a response happens, then you're turkey hunting, but otherwise you're exactly. Scouting. <laughs> exactly i mean like i'm looking for turkey like i don't want to i don't want i don't want anybody to make a mistake like i'm a turkey hunter during turkey season like i am i'm hardcore about it but i mean i'm finding i'm you know putting stuff away if i find an old you know a rub line or something like that i'm marking it on my onyx because yeah. i'm i'm wanting to i'm wanting to have that information and in fact um the the second buck that i killed this year in alabama that spot was found two years ago during turkey season. The only reason I knew that the spot existed was because of turkey season. And I've had, I mean, as far as deer numbers go, um, I've seen more deer in that spot than probably the rest of my life combined. Like there's just, there's so many deer in there. And I, I ended up killing a buck in there this, this, uh, this season with my bow. And, um, I, I could tell you, man, uh, if, if somebody is interested, you could go to my YouTube channel and you're going to find a video. I got, it's probably the video with the most views, but it's called like Parker's giant public land buck in the kayak or something like that. Okay. And it's a, it's from last season. And that spot I found during Turkey season, I killed a Turkey in there. The first time I went in, I killed a bird. And then the second time I ever went in there, I killed that buck in October. Uh, awesome. that same year and so uh i mean i could i could start if i really started thinking about it, i could probably tell you multiple bucks that i've killed in areas that i only, only reason i knew they were there is because i was turkey hunting it and just happened to run across it and, across uh, and so like i used that time right yeah so, the yeah. sign um more than anything i'm looking for a terrain feature uh okay I, i've learned i've learned for me you know, I was talking about the common denominators earlier. One of the things that I've learned is that big sign doesn't always mean as much as a hard transition line that may not show up on the map. Um, you know, sometimes there's a clear cut that happens that Onyx hasn't updated. And so on your map, you won't know it until you see it. And if I see like, oh, crap, there's a there's a cutover, a fresh cutover on this pro on the private land right here. I need to mark that. I know it's there now. I'm going to go and mark it. In fact, that's exactly what happened with that big buck I was just talking about. That's the exact same thing. I had no idea it looked that way until I went there turkey hunting it. And I was like, well, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking more at terrain features than I am. I mean, most of our deer sign pretty much disappears once turkey season starts because big woods, um, there's not a lot of food sources in the late season. Um, they do start going back to food. And so a lot of these deer will kind of migrate to private land where they've got corn piles and feeders and food plots. That's, I mean, green fields and things like that. So these deer kind of disappear. So once the rut's over in my area, you're pretty much, you might as well, I mean, you might see a deer, 
but they just leave. Like I've got spots, dude, where I can go and I can guarantee you from October through December the 15th, we could go in there and we're going to see five to 20 deer. But once Christmas is over, I can almost guarantee you we're not going to see any deer. It's just, it it switches just like that. And I've heard that that's the same thing that happens in a lot of big woods areas where there's not a lot of, you know, food sources for them to survive on. Acorns are gone. Uh, We don't have ag. You know, a lot of the the green stuff is dead. It hasn't sprouted back up yet. So they're just going to pick other places. So I'm not putting a ton of stock into like fresh tracks or, you know, a big, huge worn out deer trail. You know, I'll mark old scrapes that I might find or rubs that I might find. Um, but a lot of times, as you know, those things can be pretty at random. You know, you're not, you're not going to find, sometimes they'll tell you a little bit, but a lot of times they're just super random and you don't know what time of the season that those rubs are made. If those rubs were made during the rut, crap, dude. I mean, I have yeah. the rubs right next to the parking lot. Deer are just doing stupid stuff. You know, you, you can't tell if that rub was made if you're in a core area you know, where he made it at the beginning of the season and stuff like that. So that's, that's probably a little bit different conversation, but what I'm looking for more than anything is like a a terrain feature. I mentioned bluff gaps earlier, stuff Mm -hmm. like that stuff that you're not just going to be able to look at on X and say, that's going to be right there. You know, it's, it's, it's the little thing that I'm looking for. Okay. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And especially in those big woods, um, I can easily see why you do that rather than uh, trying to find, you know, the normal features that most people look for, which are rubs and scrapes and big trails and whatnot. So for, for me personally, uh, like I like to use the late season in terms of like, if I'm looking into a new area, um, there's two things I like to use the late season for. Um, Well, there's a lot of things, but, if I'm in a new area and I'm trying to figure out there's like six deer trails or seven deer trails in this area, which one is most used? I, I have no idea. And it's kind of like marshy. So it holds prints really well. They all look well used. They're all like brown dirt, black dirt, but you know, I don't know which one they're using. And are they using it in the morning or evening? Cause they're all kind of generally going the same direction. I, I don't know what's going on. So in the late season up here, we get snow. I can tell that information real quick, real easy. Right. So that's, that's the biggest one. Um, and the second one is telling that time of day. So like, I like to scout after a snow in the morning or within hours after it snows, because then I can tell how fresh that track was. So like, there was a spot I looked at the other day and I posted a video on it, but it was a really good spot. I liked it a lot is kind of this Island island off of a swamp and the neighboring egg field um which is private is also in the swamp it's like they own the high ground and then the lowland is public and all the tracks that were going through there um had been made by 7 a.m and snow stopped at 9 p.m so i kind of wrote that off i was thinking about hunting it but i'm like now it's all nocturnal sign i can't kill anything in there you know, at 2 a.m. So whatever, I'll cross that off my list and I'll go find somewhere else. So that's like, so I like to use that for trails, whereas it doesn't make sense for you. Yeah, we um, don't have but- snow. I wish we did. <laughs> if we had snow, like this conversation probably changes, you know? Yeah. Um, well, like you just find no tracks in those areas. 
and yeah, you just, like they they just push over to like you were saying they push over to the private where the feeders are and the food plots are and. But I wholeheartedly agree. Rubs are rubs can be totally at random. Like they are so hard. Uh, I will I will take you know a solid scrape that has like branches on it that are that have been consistently broken year over year over year. Like you have fresh branches broken and you have really old branches broken. Mm-hmm. Meaning like deer go to that spot every single year. Like I will take that all day over like you know a big thick rub because the big thick rub I, he could have just been pissed that day yeah you know? so it, this is a difference too that i've noticed i mean so on my podcast i'm talking to southern people like it's all based around the south like that's that's the people that we're talking about the guys that i talked to myself included um but the guys who were killing way bigger deer than i am are i i, I tend to ask this question a lot is do you hunt over scrapes? And almost all of them say no, because um, the, the same guy that I was telling you about hunting over uh, was hunting those bluff caps and stuff. Um, I asked him that question on his episode and I said, well, why, why don't you hunt scrapes? And he said, man, you spend as much time as I have hunting over scrapes and not seeing a deer. You probably wouldn't hunt over scrapes either. <laughs> and it's just like, we just don't see deer on scrapes like that doesn't mean when you that doesn't mean you're not going to i'm not saying i'm not going to say 100 percent of the time you're not going to you're not going to see deer on scrapes you might but it's it's not one of those things that you're gonna like you're gonna say i'm gonna hone over that i found this awesome scrape now if you go in and everything lines up like what i just talked about the terrain is right there's there's a good a good terrain feature there's hard transition line you're in the thick nasty stuff you're in a a core area something that you could consider you could see a buck using as a core area then scrapes and rubs that stuff starts becoming more valuable but the more valuable thing is the surroundings you know it's not necessarily the big sign it's going to be like what is that? And, and here's the crazy thing is, is when you find those spots, like, let's say we found a clear cut, um, a clear cut with a hardwood edge to it. And then, um, maybe there's an older clear cut with some taller pines in it. So you have basically a three-way transition like that. Right. So each of those sections represents something. And let's say out of, out of that middle portion where they all meet, there's uh, uh, some type of little, like small ditch coming uh, coming out of it. Yeah. If I'm looking at that, I'm saying I'm gonna see deer in there. I, I'm like honestly, if if there's not a whole lot of pressure around it, if I'm going into one of these spots that I know is gonna be minimal hunting pressure, I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna just. I'm going to Babe Ruth it. I'll call my shot and say, I'm going to, I might not see the deer that I'm looking for, but I'm going to see deer in there. And almost every time when I go in those type of areas, I will find sign. I'll find the rubs and I'll find the scrapes, but it's, it's more about the feature around it and not so much about the sign. Right. Like I can find, I can go out in big wide open hardwoods for hundreds of yards around me and I can find scrapes and rubs like that's, Cause they're, they're putting them all down at night, you know, but it's when you find everything that adds together 
that's yeah. when you found like a, a, a money spot. I think, yeah. And another way to say that you hit the nail on the head there, which is uh, like understanding the why behind sign is made, right? Not just seeing the sign and hunting over the sign. Cause you can walk a piece and find 30 scrapes, which one you're going to sit over understanding the why behind a specific scrape was made in a specific area gives you the information for why you're going to sit there, which is to your point, those terrain features. Like, can I put a pinch point with a transition to a food source from a bedding area and a scrape and some rubs all in the same 10 acre chunk? Can I do that? And that's where you want to go. It's understanding the full picture and not just the singular piece of sign. Yeah. And I see people do that all the dang time. Like you go out, dude, I guarantee you you go out to your, where you hunt at and you find the biggest wide open hardwood piece that you can find. That is, let's say it's, let's say it's a quarter mile away from the parking lot. And there's just this nasty, like just awesome saddle in on, on the top of a ridge. Yeah. You're going to find a ladder stand on it. You yeah. know, like you're going to find some sign of a hundred percent. And it doesn't matter if like, I'm not saying the deer aren't at some point using that saddle because they probably are, but it's, you're in wide open hardwoods. Like there's not going to be just bucks traveling through there, you know, unless they're on a hot doe, that's right. pretty much going to be it. There's nowhere for them to come from. Like there, you're not anywhere close to where he's betting at. I promise you. <laughs> Right. If, if you're, if, I mean, you just have to get super lucky in those types of situations. That's why, you know, you, right. you've got to find that now a saddle with a daggum thicket on one side. And let's say you've got, um, just like a super hard transition line or something like that next to it. Like if there's a reason why that deer would be in that saddle during the daylight, you're like, yeah, freaking hunt that saddle. That's a good terrain feature to hunt. Right. But this, that by itself is nothing like, it's just kind of like, yeah. Lame. No, I, uh, I, I've done, I've done it before. I uh, just, just in my younger years is you find like a hot scrape that you think is good and then you sit it and, and then later you're like, ah, I throw a trail camera on it and see what it is. And everything in there is at night because you're too close to the parking lot. It's too open. They're hitting it at 1am between 1am and 4am and you, you don't have a chance anyway. You yeah. Know. And, and I say all this stuff, like, like we can sit here and talk all big and stuff. I've done this crap this year. So like, I'm <laughs> like, it right. happens like there, you're going to, you're going to have times where um, maybe you do go in, you know, blind and you just are going by a, a topo map and you see a saddle or you see something like that and you go in, get in there and you're like, this is wide open. I guess I'm still going to hunt it. Cause I'm here, you know, like yeah. I've, that happens, you know, I've, I've done all this I, and I'm going to do it again next year. I promise. Um, <laughs> but every single time I do it, I'm like, Parker, you're an idiot. Why are you doing this? Like, right. you know, better than to do this. <laughs> um, well, it yeah, just it happens. Which brings me to a really good point and a great way to, to wrap up this podcast. We're closing in. I don't know if we're at an hour or over an hour, but, uh, but the, the fact that we're talking about this is from failure right? You, you learn from failure. And one of the things I wanted to touch on today was the why behind why we, why we podcast and why you listen to podcasts. Um, 
some people just listen to them for pure entertainment. And if you're listening to this podcast because it's pure entertainment, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. And I'm excited about that, but I'm hoping to bring you a little bit more than that in the form of education and, and information and, and, and helping you become a better hunter. The, the thing that we're experiencing a lot right now on with social media and podcasts, the way they are is a lot of Facebook and Instagram gurus who don't do nearly as much hunting as they do talking. Right. And, and it's, it's one of those things that I just want to get out there is we're doing these podcasts. Parker and I are doing these podcasts to help people become better and help people be more successful, sharing stories, sharing lessons learned and trying to help everyone just be better because in general, that's going to help the hunting community as a whole. More people are going to be part of the community. The community is going to grow community is going to advocate better and, and hunting is going to be around a lot longer because God knows PETA just wants it gone. And there's a lot of people who want it gone. And, and the United States is one of the few countries in the world that have such a great conservation program in every state. Um, well, maybe not California. California is a little wonky, but <laughs> aside from them, the United States has some great conservation programs. Um, and the main point of that little rant there is that learn about everything you can from podcasts and learn things from the hunting public and from YouTube and from Jeff Sturgis and all the people that you like to watch on, on YouTube and, and podcasts you like to listen to. But at the same time, you have to put the time in yourself. Like we talked about earlier, every hunting parcel is different. So what Parker and I are talking about here today might not correlate exactly to your parcel, but there are certain like themes and ideas that we talked about that will, and you need to figure out what those are and transfer them onto your property and see how they work. Like Parker's been talking about transition lines and finding those features. You may not have which bluff gaps on your property, but you might have other types of pinch points that we haven't even talked about. And the fact that the, the way you want to transfer that is not necessarily looking for bluff gaps. Well, I don't have bluff gaps, so I can't do that. Well, that's kind of just like a loser mentality right there. So you got other things to worry about if that's what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not that it's finding that pinch, finding that slip, finding that point where you think those big bucks are going to escape that pressure. And it's, and it's generally cover and it's generally a way for them to sneak around without being seen and and get through there and it's hard it's not easy if it were easy everybody would do it but taking the the ideas and the thoughts that we talk about on the podcast and transferring them to your own hunting you know scenarios the property you hunt the way you hunt um the, the amount of time you have to hunt that's a huge one um because if you only have in wisconsin if you only have you know october 20th to the 30th well that's a pre-rut time frame so you're looking for for scrapes and pinch points and funnels versus if you only have September to hunt, then you're looking for food sources or you only have January to hunt. You're looking food sources. It's different. It's different all around. So you, so this is a, this is a longer rant than I've ever been on, on my podcast, <laughs> <laughs> but fired up. the point is get your ass in the field. There's nothing that's going to help you more than putting on miles on the, on your feet and putting time in the tree. Like you can listen to Parker and I all day, but it's not going to help you nearly as much as going out there and figuring it out yourself. 
Yeah, and like when I when I started getting into this stuff, man, and really started trying to learn and get better at it, um, it came from listening to basically motivation. So the podcasts that I was listening to were just like my motivation to go out and do it. I wasn't sitting there and trying to necessarily learn every single thing that these people were saying, but it, I, I treated it as my, like, this is my motivation to get out there and make something happen. You know, this guy can do it. I can do it. You know, like right. that guy can barely talk English and he's out there killing big deer, you know, and he sounds like a daggum redneck. <laughs> like you hear these guys some of these guys down here in the south you you can't we were talking about it earlier and super far north like <laughs> that that accent i can't even hardly understand a word that they're saying but they're obviously figuring something out and i always i'm a i'm a, a enneagram type eight and that means that i'm gonna tr try to do everything that i can not to be proven wrong i'm gonna be very competitive and even if that's just competing with myself uh i'm gonna do it and so i'm gonna go out like some some dude says he can you know kill big bucks well crap so can i you know i'm i'm gonna go out and do that right. and that's just that's just how i that's just how i want to be and and so i use it as as my motivation to actually go out there and do it now here's one thing that is really cool that i am starting starting to kind of reap the benefits of i guess you can say is that it, especially in my home area where I've spent a lot of time at um, I'm starting to get to this point where I have a lot of places that I can go like, and I can tell you, I can tell you of, a, of several of them where, like I said, we could go and we could see a, a lot of deer. And if we're there at the right time of the season, we have a very good chance of seeing a big buck. Mm -hmm. If I have all those areas that I've, you know, I know I can go in there and kill a deer and, and so my scouting, like as far as like summer scouting and February stuff, you know, early March before turkey season, I'm not doing nearly as much of that stuff anymore because I already have kind of a kind of a bank account of spots that I can go into, which has made yeah. life a lot easier um, mm -hmm. at this point. And then, you know, again, if there's a new spot that I want to go check out, I'll go during turkey season when I'm already going to be out in the woods, you know. And I already, I'm, I'm not going to miss turkey season, so I might as well go check out a new spot. You never yeah. know when you might find some more birds and find some good deer sign. And, um, but, but it, the, regardless, the the point that you made is perfect. You got to go, you know, you got to go out there and do it. And then you you get to a place where either one, you have so many areas that you there's no way you could possibly hunt them all, and or you get to a place where you've started to figure out your, your home area and you can find those certain terrain features or vegetation or pinch points just by looking at a map. And you can like, you can say, I, I can go in there. And I probably have a pretty good chance. You start to learn how deer in your area travel, how they move, where they're at, where they're living at. And that makes your life easier too, when you can predict that a little bit better, but it all comes from, getting out there in the first place you've got to do that part yep wholeheartedly agree man and and as you as you say that it makes me think about all these spots that i have in my mind where it's just like you know over time just hunting these same spots over time i found you know this is only an early season spot this is a mid-season spot this is a late season spot 
you know, this is only on a north wind. This is only on a south wind. Like here and here's the entry and exit to get in here to avoid these bedding areas where I've found I bump deer if I'm moving, going through here in the wrong wind in the wrong area. Like you just learn that from time. And that's mm-hmm. that's time and, and experience. And, and it's a lot of upfront work in the first, you know, two to five years. It's a lot of upfront work and failure. But once you get past that five year mark or that six year mark where you really start to like really understand that piece not then you're like you're saying you're just kind of calling your shots you're like all right i'm gonna sit here on this day because it's this wind it's this time of year i know hunting pressure is going to be about this there should be good deer in this area you know and this is that's that's some stuff that if people will listen to guys like andy may i don't know if you've ever had him on the podcast before but that guy is such a wealth of knowledge and this is what he talks about all the time in his younger year, he was an, a, like, like a pretty, like an adult onset hunter. He hadn't been hunting his whole life. And, um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the name Andy May. He's kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> over the last few years kind of become like reached that legendary status, <laughs> but the, the dude, like he goes into the woods and he has some failures and, and he doesn't always kill the deer that he's after or whatever. But man, when you talk about a guy who can go out into a new place or like into a, a, another state and get it done in just a couple days, he's the guy to talk to. And he's, it's the same thing. He learned early on where to go, how aggressive he can be and how he can go in and be effective really, really quick. But that doesn't come from just going in and doing it. It comes from a lot of years of trial and error pretty much. And, and he's figured it out, man. Like I would tell everybody, um, I mean, you've got guys like Dan and fault, John Eberhart, just those guys who are awesome and everybody knows it. Uh, Andy may though is a guy that I would, if you're, if you're wanting to really learn how to kill deer, big deer on public land, Andy may is like my dad gum hero, man. He is like, <laughs> he is incredible. And, and the way that he can go in and do it is just amazing. And like, you know, like I said before, he's doing the same stuff that we're talking about. He's just learning it, getting, he start the guy. So just kind of give you his, he's, he's got kids, he's got a full schedule. He's a teacher. So he doesn't just have like crazy off days or anything like that. Yeah. So he has to go out and get it done in a short amount of time. That's why you know, he's like learned how to do this stuff and learned how to, I guess, for lack of a better term, call his shots. And, uh, and it's just, it's just cool. You, you'll find some of those people like that and they're really worth paying attention to, especially if you're an average working class guy who doesn't have five days a week to hunt, you know, you've, you've got Saturday and Sunday. Most people do these, yeah. these guys like that are, they're brilliant and they're really worth listening to. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I'll have to get them. I'll have to hit them up in the off season here and see if I can get them on the podcast. But yeah, I've listened to a few with with him, um, and yeah, it's always it's always fun to, I mean, just absorb, uh, try to absorb the information and then apply it to your own scenario and yeah. figure out how you can do similar. And stuff. you and you have to do that. You've got to apply it to your own right. scenario. You can't yeah. you can't just act like you're the same person because you're not. <laughs> You, know, you got to figure out <laughs> you hunt the same property. You Does don't. this work? Well, and you're not married to the same people. 
and you don't have the same kids sports schedules right. and stuff like that. Like there's so many things that you have to figure out for yourself mm-hmm. and how to make it work for you. So we could yeah. talk about that for a long time, but we probably already, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you got a, you got a four-year-old, you got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, right? Uh, almost. I've got a, my daughter, well, crap, she'll be four next month and my son will be two in July. So he's like a year and a half. Okay. So yeah, I've so got I young got a, ones. I got a two-year-old and a pregnant wife who's due. Oh, yeah. His due date is the same due date as my first kid. <laughs> really? Yeah. February twentieth. Yeah. Yeah. Our daughter's that's that's crazy. Our daughter's birthday is February twenty second. So. Oh, nice. So yeah, my son's February twenty fifth. So man. But yeah, I mean it's uh yeah, I mean, especially with kids like you know, I have my friends who are, who are either married or single and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to get out to hunt. I'm like, you have no, you don't, you don't get to say that to me. Yeah, you, don't, you don't know what it's like, man. Just, you need to just be quiet for a second. Yeah, it's true. Right. I mean, but it's, it's the best part of it. You know, I mean, being able to go out and number one, there's nothing more important than them. Like there's no deer that yeah. should ever be more important than they are. I know they don't always feel like I act on those words, but, but I do, I do believe it. Um, but it's so much fun to me to know that like, like I tagged out on, I, I had four bucks down by December the 5th this year and I still have a marriage <laughs> and I still, <laughs> and my kids still love me and I still have a job like that, that whole like yeah balancing and juggling it makes the grind even more like rewarding yeah i love it's so much more for sure yeah it keeps you busy right keeps you on your toes yep um all right well we can talk about that stuff like you said all day um i'm gonna i want to wrap this up because we're rolling definitely over an hour now but uh parker tell people where they can find you if they want to get more more on you yeah you can uh like we talked about you can go to youtube and search southern ground hunting and you'll find my stuff there on Instagram. It's uh, all lowercase word, Southern Ground Hunting. And uh, on Facebook, you just go to Southern Ground Hunting. It's, I've tried to make it pretty easy for people to find it. And uh, and then you can go to the um, Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network and find um, find the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Uh, but I also have my own feed too. So uh, it's it's just search search the name on whatever, wherever you listen to podcasts at and you'll find my stuff. And, uh, yeah, we try to, we try to talk to a few of you guys, you Yankee guys every once in a while, just to keep, <laughs> just to keep our listener base kind of on their toes and stuff. But, uh, most right, of the time we're, we're talking we're, to Southern guys, right. In theory, we're sitting up here just passing up one fifties, like, nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like we got to talk to people who are, who really know how to grind down South and not you guys who are, you got, you got corn, you know, corn fields and 160 <laughs> inch bucks on every corner. <laughs> right. Yeah. I got, I wish it was like that, man. I wish it was. Yeah. I do All too. Right. I'd probably live there. <laughs> right. It's called Iowa. You can yeah. move there. <laughs> you can move there. Right. Yeah. And it's totally, it's totally different than Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin's Wisconsin and Michigan, like they don't like to compare each other. But you're talking similar number of hunters. You're talking yeah. 600, 700,000 hunters, you know. Um, uh, and then Iowa, you're talking like 100,000 hunters, maybe less. I forget what the numbers are, but it's something like staggeringly low. And you're like, 
how is that? That's, that's why there's such big deer there. Right. And they don't yeah. have a rifle season. They only have a shotgun season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just like, it just breeds big deer, tons of food, low numbers, low caliber of weapons, like go get them, you know, yeah. lots of missing. <laughs> and for the price of six, almost $700, you could have your right. own Iowa tag. Yeah, exactly. That is the nice thing about the the nice thing about out of state and the thing that residents hate is like Wisconsin's out of state tag is like 120 bucks or something like 150 bucks. Insane. That's right. Cheap. And next door, Iowa is like 700. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I going on an elk hunt here or what? <laughs> Florida's is 40. So don't feel too oh, bad. Geez. Yeah. Which nobody's yeah. going to Florida to hunt deer as a non-resident. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're going there to retire. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, Hey, thanks for being on Parker. Really appreciate it. And for everybody listening, um, if you enjoyed this episode, please, uh, give me a, a rating, please review it. So tell me just hit that five-star button. I don't care what you say after that. I'm not going to read it at all anyway. So it doesn't matter. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I appreciate every review I get. It, it really helps just push the podcast forward and, um, yeah, we'll catch you next time.